Welcome, everybody, to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkov, and today we are going to talk about how to ace your soft launch, uh, something that I have <laughs> not done many times. So a very important topic, at least for me and probably for a lot of the listeners. The guests on this episode are fantastic. We have Anneli Bianat, game director from Wuga, just went through a gruesome, I don't even know if it was a gruesome, but through a, through a long and experienced rich soft launch uh, that ended up happily in a global launch of Switchcraft, Google's latest match three plus narrative game. Really cool. If you haven't played it out, check it out. And then we got Aaron Hiscox from Google Play, who has seen all the data when it comes to soft launches, um, coming in and telling us how to how the best in the business are doing it at the moment. So uh, welcome, uh, both of you. And for the audience, let's do a little introduction round. Anneli, can you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your history, uh, your the games you worked on, etc.? Thank you for having me, Mishka. It's a pleasure to be at the podcast. So yeah, my name is Anneli. I'm at Vuga since over nine years. Um, before VUGA, I worked in other industries like uh, finances and renewable energy consulting companies. Um, when I joined VUGA, I, I joined in Pearl's Peril as a game analyst, and I made my career at VUGA as product manager for various platforms. I also consulted newly launching games like Futurama, uh, Tropicats. Um, I was consulting also with June's Journey. And I about two years ago, I moved or two and a half years ago, I moved uh, to the new game section of Wuga, where I worked with a team to produce and soft launch and globally launch Switchcraft. Uh, first as lead, lead product manager, and now I'm the game director of the team. And I'm the bridge between the different uh, teams that are supporting us, um, as well as the publishing organization and have connections to Play, Playtica, our mother company. So that's my role. Awesome. Wealth of knowledge will be very interesting to hear uh, the whole journey of, of Switchcraft. Um, Aaron, a little bit about yourself as well. Yeah, happy to introduce myself and uh, thank you again for having us. Um, so my name is Aaron. I'm a partner manager at Google Play. Um, I've been here for almost two years now and uh, my role is to work with top mobile game developers who release their games on Play. Um, while I've been here, I've worked with a number of top game developers to soft launch and ultimately launch a few really cool games um, and excited to try to share some of the experiences from 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 those launches. And before this, I was at um, a couple of different gaming companies. I was at Pocket Gems, uh, which is a you know, mobile gaming studio in San Francisco, and uh, worked on some of their live titles and uh, worked on a few development games while I was there in a sort of, let's call it a platform product, platforms and product role. And then before that, I was at uh, 2K Games and Take-Two Interactive, uh, where I worked on the launch of a number of you know, PC console games, like uh, NBA 2K, um, a couple of those, and then Civ 6, Borderlands 3, uh, and XCOM 2. Uh, and so, you know, it was fun to come over from the console PC side into mobile and uh, now on the platforms. Awesome. Uh, great experience as well. So let's let's jump in into the uh, into the meat of the conversation. So let's start off with the with the obvious. Like, why are developers gravitating towards Google Play during soft launch phases uh, for their games? Um, I, Aaron, could, could you um, could you explain that? Yeah, I, that's a great question. Um, and you know, in my opinion, it's 
because Play offers, you know, developers a wide range of different soft launch tools and options in the Play Developer Console, you know, you can leverage all the different tracks, but that includes closed beta, open beta, early access, pre-registration. You know, all of these different tools are available to anybody who releases through Play um, and gives you, you know, the flexibility to choose a soft launch strategy that suits your game and ultimately what you're trying to achieve. You know, I, we're trying to think of maybe some examples of you know how I mean, different soft launch strategies that I've worked on. And I've worked on a couple that have fairly well-known IPs. Um, and in those cases, the developer wanted to keep their soft launch under wraps. Mm-hmm. And you know, to do that, the best way to do it was to leverage closed beta, where you're obviously sharing it with a sort of smaller audience. Um, maybe you're leveraging something like access codes or something to you know distribute those codes to you know the select few that you want to be playing and providing feedback. And then on the flip side, you have those games that are like you know ready to start looking for scale. They're looking to really start getting strong feedback from players. Um, and in that case, they sort of leaned more towards open beta. Maybe they don't even have a cap on the number of players they're looking to get. And at that point, you know, your game becomes visible on the Play Store and people can dive into it and start providing you, you know, more direct feedback, which is really helpful, I think. The last one that I've seen and heard developers, you know, really appreciate is that you can run store listing experiments in the Play Console and you can use this to test creative and assets. And as I think, I think as a lot of people know, it's really important to feel confident that when you go global, when you're just choosing to go global, that you're going to be able to acquire users. Your, your, your store listing is going to be able to convert users at that point, and you're going to have a really healthy funnel. The, the, the fun thing about some of the data we're able to share in the Play Console as a, as a product of being you know, a platform and having sort of this wealth of data um, available to us is that you can see peer benchmarks for you know games and genres uh, that you know you might be comparing yourself against. So you could, for example, say that you know you're launching an action game and in soft launch you're seeing an RPPOR retention of this. And you can compare that against the genre to get a sense of actually how you're doing, whether you're on track, whether you're maybe missing a little bit, um, and therefore you need to spend more time in development. Mm. And from our side, it's just about making sure the developers have the information they need to make smart decisions. In some cases, those decisions have been, in my experience, to kill games um, and get that team moving and onto the next projects. Um, and in some cases, it's been a case of that's the validation they needed to go global. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff in that. How how many how many team? Okay, so two questions: like how typical it is to to use the uh, the closed beta uh, versus just going through the uh, the open beta. And the second kind of like a super practical question is. When you put your game early into the store, let's say into a closed beta, do those reviews of that game stay with the game or do they disappear? It's an excellent question. Okay, so to answer your first one, so closed beta is it's closed, right? It's it's only for those people who are invited, um, and in that case, you know, people oftentimes use it for you know your family and friends mm-hmm. testing. Occasionally, as I mentioned, they'll use it to invite you know a group of maybe it's um, you're doing some measure of. Uh, um, you know, group testing with folks and you want to give them access to it, you can do that with this sort of small select group and it doesn't get circulated outside of that. It's really you know, just for those people. And so it's just sort of a safe environment. And this is also true for open beta, by the way. They can't leave reviews. And that's really important because, you know, at this really early stage in development, mm-hmm. you know, there might be a few bugs, there might be a few issues. And 
candidly, like I've seen a few developers go straight to let's call it you know production soft launch where they're releasing yeah. it in a region, and unfortunately, what happens is the game isn't ready and they get a lot of negative reviews, and it's really hard to to claw that back. Um, if you get a load of one star reviews because there's something wrong, trying to get that back up to four star, which is sort of the benchmark that we recommend, takes a long time. And in that meantime, any creative testing that you're trying to do can be impacted by those negative reviews. Yeah. If you're trying to test your ads creative, you're sending somebody to the Play Store, they see a one star review, they're unlikely to give it a go. And as a result, you don't know if you're your creative or if it's. Yeah. Uh, how about if you unpublish the game? Uh, does that reset it if you put it back then afterwards? Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance in the flipping between <laughs> different tracks. Um, I advise just trying to play the system. I don't believe that you can reset reviews even if you pull it down. If you pull it down and like created a new package name and started from scratch, like sure. But my understanding is that you know even if you removed it from a region, like you wouldn't necessarily be able to restart your. Review. Got it. Okay, well, that that brings a lot of validity to using the uh, the closed beta and open beta. If you can't put in the reviews, then you won't have to start from like a from 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 a ditch of like two star review. <laughs> so fortunately, people can still send you feedback. It's just a different yeah. format. They send you an yeah. email um, that's facilitated yeah. through the stores, but. exactly, but not the stars. So, Anneli, uh, what did you choose Android uh, as a as a launch platform, and did you use any of the tools that Aaron was uh, describing? So first of all, I want to say that um, it wasn't like the tools and, and the support that we get from the platform is, of course, important. But the decision for how we want to focus our efforts wasn't really based on this purely. So when we look at the, the soft launch plan for a game, we look at generally the market opportunities and we look at other recently launching games and what we saw in the past for our live games was that often the iOS version uh, had more users, brought in more revenue. Um, and by the point in 2020, it was already more equal, at least when it comes to the revenue with more users on the Google side. And when I back then looked and monitored at recent soft launching and globally launching games, I saw even a shift that there's bigger volume on both sides. So users and revenue on, on, on the Google side. So these were actually the first thoughts that mattered for us when we thought about, okay, what should be our focus? And, um, in the past, when it wasn't the case, we would actually focus more on iOS to be honest with you, right? So when we saw bigger, potential on iOS, we would also go with an iOS first strategy. But here, again, when, when we were about to make our plan, we saw more potential with the Android market. And there, um, the tools that are available, of course, came quite handy. <laughs> so there, it's not like um, it all worked out of the box for us. There's also some unclarity, especially if something is rather new. You know, there's it's a process to learn how to use these tools properly. Uh, for us, going with this Android-first strategy, um, we um, tried with a closed beta to begin with and an open beta, but we did have some technical challenges. Um, so, for example, getting campaigns to start running because they always said the, the app is not available, we cannot run mm -hmm. your campaigns. So there were some technical issues um, and I was very glad that the Google team was there to support us. We couldn't overcome 
or we were too too impatient to overcome some of those. I think with more patience we might have uh, with the support that we got. Uh, but we went um, in a country-based production uh, soft launch quite fast, I would say, 14 days later. And we had actually a session with the Google team to give them feedback on the things that we didn't understand on the UX side of the tool. And um, we wanted to understand the also the user-facing processes a bit better. What is the player seeing when they install? Um, and um, we... Um, at VUGA, we focus a lot on quality. So our production times are quite long and we already had quite many tests done on Playtest Cloud. Uh, so when we decided to go to production, we actually weren't afraid um, to get negative reviews because we already get a lot of negative reviews on Playtest Cloud and also within VUGA. So we also use our own staff to test the, the, the builds. And while in the early phases, we got really, really bad feedback or had technical issues by the time when we decided to tech soft launch, uh, we already had the game that we believed in. And we actually, I think the early reviews that we generated were some of the best reviews. Like they were always very helpful and very good. So uh, I think our strategy is different. And that's also where I'm saying that there's not really a way to copy a soft launch strategy. Whenever somebody comes to me and say, give me your soft launch plan, I wanted to use it as a blueprint. And I'm like, you know, your product might need a very different strategy. Uh, it also depends on the audience. Maybe um, for the platform choices that I mentioned earlier, it made sense for our game, for our audience. It might be very different for other games. So um, yeah, th those were my experiences. Um, I think the, the really the most beneficial support from Google came from the benchmarks that you mentioned. So yeah. really understanding where do we stand? How can we further improve? Where should we focus on? I think this is a very, very helpful tool from Google. And I really, um, appreciate the transparency. And I wish, and I know that Apple is trying to support us with this as well. Uh, but I think the the availability of the data and the ability to use the data is, is better on the Google site. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some of the reports from our Google reps. They're pretty fantastic, and they truly give very interesting audience insights in your genre that you wouldn't even expect that affect significantly uh, the feature development. Uh, you mentioned tech soft launch. Does a tech soft launch come after your closed beta and open beta, or before? How do you how did you do that? Um, so generally our process starts way earlier. It's mm -hmm. the validation release. Um, this is after the first concepting phase and it's really just a proof of concept of the, the loop of the theme. And, um, this validation release is like, there's not really pipeline for anything. There's not really defined processes. It's just defining the pillars that need to be there and try to get it together in one or two months and have a playable version where you can put in some surveys to also understand the audience better. So this validation release happened, I think, in 2018 for the game. I wasn't mm -hmm. even part of the game team then. And only once we saw that the validation release uh, worked well, um, and I think that was a beta version or an alpha version even. So that was very early. Only then we actually committed to full quality production of the game. And then we went into the production cycle and 
then the next step, like after all the internal tests, uh, when we opened up the TechSoft launch in India and Philippines at the time, um, we were, as I said, in um, country-based production release already. Got it. So the uh, the validation release is sort of a yeah, it's basically console validation that is put out in 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 the App Store or in the Play Store. In the Play Store, yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh, and you mentioned Google based on more users and and equal monetization. Um, how much did elements like ad monetization and ATT play uh, play a role? Because well, we know that that especially with the uh, with the ATT, you're able to do much better creative optimization on, on play than you can do on iOS. Did that play a role as well? By the time in 2020, I think when we made the soft launch plan, this wasn't um, mm-hmm. at least known what it really entails and what will happen. So um, the uncertainty was there as a risk, but it was not part of the discussion. Throughout the soft launch, we had to realize that um some of the learnings we could generate uh, pre-rollout. Um, so the rollout, I think, was somewhere in March. And we started the TechSoft launch um, the, the year before in mm-hmm. June. So we just saw that we were not confident we could use the learnings on iOS <laughs> post. So yeah. investing a lot of money in uh, testing the old system didn't make as much sense. So on Android, uh, we were much more confident to invest into the learnings there because we knew that even post-global launch, the, the learnings would still be applicable. Got it. And and as you entered, um, let's say, the uh, the proper soft launch, was blacklisting of devices something that, that you uh, you did or like did you target the other sort of the high end and only slowly started uh opening up the other samsung s9s and so forth so before we uh text of launch we already defined our minimum uh threshold and this is given by also the um the unity version that we use and the tools that we use they all have like minimum requirements and um we often tried like we always try to do a market research like how much coverage do we get with supporting this level of devices and this was already defined during tech soft launch we actually tried to get as many and as a wide variety of devices within that range and that's why we also chose india and philippines for example to really make sure that the full range of devices will be supported and um the full range that we wanted to support, right? Not all devices in the world, but mm-hmm. the range that we deemed is is uh, um, possible with the technology that we use. And um, we use this TechSoft launch really to optimize loading times for all types of devices. We had benchmarks set up for every de- device category. We even bought like some of these weird... Asian phones, like our IT department was a bit uh, scared. Like, where do we buy those? Where do we, can you live with a delivery time of 20 days? <laughs> and also we get some of the devices where we saw issues and really wanted to test them in our console and see uh, what's not working well and optimize for this during the TechSoft launch. 
That makes sense. Well, okay, so let's let's move on to the next next point, and that is the go to market plan and different stages of soft launch. I kind of touched upon those, uh, but how did you approach the uh, the go to market plan? What I mean is, what are the different phases before you enter soft launch and during soft launch? In more details, what are you seeking to test in all of those phases? And what is the duration? What are the exit criteria and budgets for each phase? So this is, of course, very applicable for your game only. But to kind of understand um, your game as an example, and then if Aaron can talk about like the best practices, that would be a, a great approach for folks um, trying to build their go-to-market plan. So as I mentioned, uh, it really started with the validation release. Uh, the purpose of the validation release was understanding is there an audience Um who, who is the audience? What do they like about the concept? And what do they not like about the concept? And uh, is it worth investing into this concept? Uh, mm -hmm. Because our production times are very long, right? So uh, we spent a significant amount of time interviewing the players, looking at the data, um, testing the theme. So that was um, the first phase. Then we had this long production, as I mentioned, and then the tech soft Sorry, launch. for the first phase, yeah. did you have? Uh, did you look at also retention numbers, or is it more like uh, product market fit? Retention was secondary, so it was mainly yeah, yeah, product market fit. But we were it. actually surprised about the retention. So we had still like mm -hmm. assumptions before. Like it's always important to have an assumption. Mm -hmm. And then see where you end up. And I think the team back then was quite surprised seeing so many players at the end of the available content also filling out the survey. So yeah. uh, this was not expected. Yeah. Well, match three. I mean, it's a king of, of retention. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to understand, like, basically the quality of the build. Like, what are we talking about? Like, if you're looking at retention, then I'm then I'm probably expecting something different. But uh, but if it's uh mainly focusing on product market fit. Uh, then it's a lot about marketability um, and then overall just audience understanding. Got it. And uh, uh, part of the criteria in this phase uh, was also, um, do we have the skills to actually produce this game in high quality, right? So if you enter match three, you need to really be competitive also with the execution of the match three gameplay and the bars are very high. So yeah. You have to see how confident are you with your team? Can you master that? It's a tricky question. Um, in tech soft launch, um, our focus was, as I said, being able to support the broad range of devices we wanted to support. Uh, we looked at error rates, crash rates, um, vitals in the console. Um, we looked at loading times. Um, we benchmarked our competitors and on different devices in their loading times and checked how, where we end up. Um, we looked at, um, um, yeah, the reviews in general, the level performance. So in the levels, match three are based on the levels. And, uh, of course, the content there can make a player stuck. <laughs> so really get. Two players get through the levels, two players get through the funnel. So mm -hmm. uh, um, these were the questions that we asked in um, tech launch. And we chose tier three countries to test this. For us, it was very important that these countries speak English because if you have such an extensive story, you want them to understand the story. Yeah. And so we needed English speaking markets. So tier three English speaking market, what is that? India and Philippines for us. India and Philippines. Okay. 
and and usually but those are also kind of like low retention number countries at the same time so it's a uh, the data can be quite misleading or am i wrong mm, no i mean we have data from india and philippines mm -hmm. from other games also previously oh, launched it. games so uh -huh. you can always make benchmarks i think that's why it's really important to know before you start the phase to What are your expectations? And maybe you have check marks, like I said, loading times, crashes, all these things that need to be in place. But maybe mm -hmm. you also have guiding KPIs where you say, okay, we should be in this range for the retention. And if not, something is wrong, even though it's lower than the US retention for your top performing game, right? Got it. And and you have the access to not only Wulga data, but also the, uh, the broader Playtika data that allows you to... Uh, basically gouge how you are in tier three compared to other other releases? No, not necessarily. No? So if I ask specific KPIs from Playtica, yes, but I think we actually got more insightful benchmarks from um, Google. So oh, we can shout ask out to them. Google. <laughs> yeah, we can ask them for the retention of match three games in India. And, you know, mm -hmm. like you get these benchmarks and then We even had dashboards monitoring our retention versus uh, the different tiers uh, of benchmarks. So. That's fantastic. So you're not flying blind or not kind of like trying to gouge how this is compared to other games and their Indian audience versus the tier one audience or whatever, tier three versus two. So you just get it directly from Google and and now you have something to to aim for. Got it. That's good. Yeah. But we didn't, so it wasn't that this would have been a kill criteria. I mean, mm -hmm. it's an early indicator. Um, but uh, for us, the criteria to move to the next phase were really more of the technical nature. It's not like how many bookings do we generate? Do we get an inner purchase? Like, does our payment system work? <laughs> Checkmark. <laughs> right? So it's, it's more simpler yeah. KPIs. Got it. And the next phase uh, we called the phase one of soft launch. And that was testing the FTUE. Because again, as I said, like we of course looked at the India benchmarks, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily translate one to one to other markets. And so um, we did, um, and I think we tested first in Canada and the data was horrible. We didn't meet the criteria. <laughs> Really? Despite running so many Playtest Cloud tests? Yes, yes. It was still like not performing. Interesting. And uh, it was a very stressful phase. So it was a phase where um, everyone you ask in the company, everyone that we talked to also from the partner side, um, the players, everyone said something different. Like I could have easily found 100 reasons why we see what we see. And I felt a bit like, uh, I think I, I said it in, in another place before, but I felt like Hodor, like trying to mm -hmm. support the team, not being overwhelmed with all the feedback yeah. that they're receiving. Um, and it was a lot to process. And of course, um, you may want to decide to stop there and just do the thing. But we felt that the next phase was not really relying that much on having a fixed FTUE. So we actually went to the second phase without mastering the first phase and mm -hmm. not reaching the goals that we set ourselves. Um, and that was a strategic decision because uh, we just knew that fixing the funnel is not like if you have a narrative game, 
and you need to rewrite your story entirely, this won't happen <laughs> just so fast. You also need to recreate content. Um, you need to rethink how you onboard the player. What's the focus you need to do? User tests, you need to analyze it. It's a lot of work. So what we did is we continued with phase two, which was focused on user acquisition, where we wanted to test different more markets. So we went to um, Great Britain and um, Australia as well. And uh, we try to scale budgets in all of these markets with different types of campaigns to gather user acquisition data. And while that uh, happened, we already prepared the redoing of the FTOE and then we took a break. So after phase two, because then we also needed some time to measure the data to see the check the LTV predictions for these cohorts. Um, we then took a break and um, once we saw that, okay, UA uh, targets were achieved, we revamped the FTUE and then we went into phase three where we wanted to bring both together. So we wanted to bring the user acquisition KPIs together with the game KPIs and wanted to find out, do we have a business case? And um, we had specific models to guide us. What are the KPIs we need to reach? Um, and how can this turn out into a business case? And we failed. <laughs> <laughs> and then you moved to the next stage after failing two stages. <laughs> no, we failed phase three. Uh, we went back to okay. drawing board. What is the problem? Why are we failing phase three? Yeah. Why can't we bring it together? And we really made it very concrete which parts of the business case we're failing. And we just gave it one more shot to fix these things. So we did another huge change in the game and also on the UA strategy side. And um, we could see a trajectory of continuous improvement. So week over week, mm -hmm. APIs became better, UA uh, um, numbers, ROIs become better. So we saw a well, very willing team, a very passionate team, and we saw the week over week improvements that we um, deemed necessary to make the global launch decision. And once we had the global launch decision, that's then when we started the first, uh, the last phase, sorry, and that we called dress rehearsal, where you just bring everything in place that you need for the global launch. Got it. So technical launch that moves into soft launch phase one, where you tested for two, which is quite interesting like it's not something that that midcore games would do like the fatui is not that important to be honest it's at least i will be probably wrong aaron will correct me but in my own experience it's like whatever go with a fatui go without a fatui uh d30 is what matters in the end <laughs> uh then soft launch phase two was the ua so that's where you test your marketability essentially figure out your cpi with tier one tier two tier three um optimize your app store or Play Store uh, assets, et cetera, et cetera. Then phase number three was the business case. And this is the uh, essentially the monetization. So now you're trying to see if you're monetizing or not. And that really brings in, are your customer acquisition costs lower than the LTV? And then the final part is like when you get the business case together, that's when you uh, basically gear up for the big, big launch. Um, okay, so that's or the summary. Launch, or, or medium launch. launch. Or small <laughs> launch. Like, well, let's go for a big one. Like, it's been a long process, so we might as well go for a big one. Aaron, is this typical? Uh, what, what's your take on this soft launch process? It, it sounds it sounds fairly typical to me. I think mm -hmm. that um, 
there's definitely some regional nuances in in how different developers have approached soft launch. Um, for example, if you have worked with any developers out of APAC, like they have a very different approach. Certainly, if you're launching in Japan and Korea, mm. but you know, I work with Western devs and I'm based in the US, and so um, obviously my experience is mostly to very very similar I think, to what Anneli uh, described. Um, I think it, you know. From our side, we typically come in, uh, or at least are brought in, um, you know, after, as Emily said, you know, you've done the product market fit. You feel like you have a game and mm-hmm. there's something there. And at that point, you're, you know, probably feeling okay. And you're thinking like, okay, maybe we should bring the platform in at this point. Um, and that's where a lot of the data that we have becomes helpful. Um, and, you know, only measure retention. I think as far as I can tell, that does seem to be the, you know, let's call it the, the North Star for a lot of developers as they're thinking about, you know, whether this game is going to work, certainly in early stages. If you have fairly decent short-term retention, and then obviously you're getting a, you know, relatively early indication that long-term retention looks okay, like it's worth continuing to pursue it and then move on to some of the other sort of testing that you you're, you know that you need to do to get ready for launch. Uh, how about, Anneli mentioned some of the, uh, some of the benchmarks. So uh, can you talk about some of the, um, you know, engagement benchmarks like day one, day seven, day 30, what type of targets should developers have for monetization, for example, as well, in terms of percentage of buyers or number of purchases or average transaction values. So any kinds of insights, basically. Yeah, it's tough because, um, you know, these benchmarks differ so greatly by genre. It's worth just going into the play console and trying to get a sense of what those benchmarks are for the genre that you're targeting for let's call it a casual mid-core game like Switchcraft, like you're going to get very different metrics, as you said, to a more mid-core strategy game where, you know, as you said a second ago, like maybe the Fatui isn't hugely important and your sort Mm -hmm. of early retention is going to be fine regardless. And you're looking really at like that long-term retention, like how is your player base monetizing the day 30 and beyond? So it's tough to give like, let's call it sort of specific KPIs like across you know, all the different genres that we work with. Um, I think the main recommendation, if anything, that I have is that a lot of developers look to the US as their main target market, but we've seen top developers do incredibly well by prioritizing markets in Central Eastern Europe, South America, Southeast Asia. Um, And so I think it's really important to think globally about your game, even as early as soft launch. Mm -hmm. You know, Yes, the US is an important market. Yes, Germany is an important market. But actually, if you if you just focus on those markets, you're not necessarily in a position to take full advantage of like everything else that's happening out there. Certainly on Android, you know, we're much we're a, we're a global platform, and so there's a lot of um, a lot of potential opportunity um, if you can figure out how to make your market your game work in India and other places. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the interesting data points that I've seen uh, from a, from a Google rep, actually in a Google event, was that if your game is being played by forty minutes or more after during the first day after it's been installed, that's a sign of success. Like they like they even gave like like, and that is really helpful for a game company because when you go into a concept validation phase, it's it's easy to say to the team like guys. 40 minutes is all we need. <laughs> like, let's make an hour of content. Like, can we do that? And, um, and th- those are, those are kind of like interesting, um, points of, of reference and benchmarks that, that you can get from Google. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, 
totally agree. It's the kind of thing that like, you know, there's a lot of that information I think is, is written up in some of the cool articles that exist out there and it's worth diving into those. Um, uh, all right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about media planning and executing on a media strategy. So something that I'm not as qualified. So I'm very interesting to to hear to hear the uh, the experiences as well as the other uh, data from the market. So uh, from for Anneli, like how do you build a media plan for the soft launch? Like what are the criteria for different networks? How do you set the budget? What are the sample sizes? What determines the length? And how do you choose the markets? Like like all of this. Can you share a little bit of the um, of the media plan that you had for Switchcraft? Yes. So as you might remember from my background, it's not my area of expertise, but as a former lead PM and game director, I'm of course very much in contact with our lovely colleagues from the publishing department. And we collaborate on what this strategy should look like. So there are of course game team needs and um, the user acquisition needs and product marketing needs and uh, the media plan ideally um, takes into consideration all those needs right so for us for example we clearly told our um, uh, representatives and from these disciplines well we are now releasing a very important new version please make sure we get at least 300 installs per day so that we know fast enough if if it's working or not, what we try to achieve. Um, and they we also told them, well, in this phase, we're just working. We're not really looking at the data. Go as low as you want. And sometimes they would say, well, we are testing something important, so we don't want to go lower. Um, and ideally, if you talk about it early, you can kind of align those needs more, right? Where both teams say, now we go back to the drawing board in, in, in this phase and it's okay if we don't have continuous uh, um, campaigns running. Sometimes you need to feed the campaigns to really see, do they die fast after the setup or do they actually sustain? Um, what happens when we update the creatives? So you need to have different periods planned in to test different things. And it doesn't have to be always at the same time. But when I talked about the proving the business case, we actually set ourselves targets. Like, can we spend this amount of money in this market? Can we spend this amount of money in the market? Right. So we really tried our utmost, like how much can we scale in this limited market area uh, how fast do we see CPIs go up? What happens if we just do campaigns that focus on the spender? And of course, uh, in this times, especially uh, our UA budget was already bigger than what we had to uh, on overhead on the team, right? So we are we were 35 to 40 people during um, soft launch and our marketing campaigns were already at times more expensive. So um, in that that regard, because prices just go up every year, if you're a small team, you really need to make sure that your business case doesn't break at this testing stage. Like you really need to make sure you have the resources to really test the waters, because otherwise um, it's something that Vuga also did in the past, like not doing the scale test, not seeing what actually comes back, like skipping some of the phases and then spend millions in a very short time and realizing that nothing comes back right so i think that's a year later realizing that nothing came back <laughs> no or 
seven days later. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's a short payback if, if you were expecting to get a million back after seven days. Uh, no, but uh, no, but seeing after seven days that there's no way you can make the money back, yeah. right? So you wow. have models and you know what to expect uh, in terms <laughs> of ATV curves. And uh, so you want to really avoid uh, sinking a lot of money without no. doing the proper testing before. No, no I understand. And that also but meant going to different <laughs> platforms. Like a lot of the early creatives that we tested didn't work out. So we we were churning out 100 new creatives with a very small team in a very short period. And it, it was a very different way of operating than what we would do for a live game. And you just need to be uh, sure that your team is there. They focus on this. And it's not like, okay, this is working for June's journey. <laughs> Uh, this we can do the same for Switchcraft. No, it's a different audience. Uh, you might need to experiment with different channels, different types of creatives. So it's a lot of learning in a very short time. And uh, I, yeah, honestly, it can get very stressful for the team because if you are in this phase and you already failed two milestones <laughs> and you're afraid that this might be your last month on the game team, <laughs> And you know yeah. all the things that you still need to test and campaigns you want to try, and it's it's very stressful. And you need to have enough. Like you shouldn't, it shouldn't die with the money that you have at hand because that's like the worst. So what? Uh, so working with a publishing team, you mentioned you know Wuga's publishing team, is the campaign manager or product marketing manager both? Are they part of the team or are they part of the publishing team at Wuga? They are part of the publishing team. So we have uh -huh. game teams and I call it the extended game team family yeah. because we have dedicated UA manager. We have de dedicated marketing manager, uh, dedicated CRM manager. Um, and um, whenever we, for example, do team events or like all hands for the team, we invite them. Like mm. they are, we try to treat them like everyone else on the team, but they have, their managers are sitting in the publishing team and they have then other marketing managers, other UA managers that are they interact with on a daily basis to do the knowledge exchange between products. What are the sort of the best practice of working uh, since you were a lead PM and you have uh, your UA, your campaign manager who is working with you on the, on the uh, publishing side? Now, it's very easy, like coming myself from the product side, to just say like, hey, just give me better traffic and I'll give you better KPIs. So it's very easy to have this antagonistic relationship with the UA uh, where you're trying to do your best, but you could say like, well, you're just not sending me the right type of audience. <laughs> and, then the, and the UA says like, well, your game is just not retaining and I can't buy you better audience. And that's a very sour relationship. But how do you, how do you create a, a positive relationship where the UA or let's say a campaign manager feels uh, truly vested in the team's success because let's be honest, that person just came into the team and you've been grinding for three years and he's like, well, or she's like, you know, this tanks, I'm just going to go on the next side. Like <laughs> I got games. <laughs> so first so. of all, I think the attitude that you, that you described, frankly, <laughs> it's leading you on the road to failure. So yeah. I have seen it in the company uh, that people did this and it's the first step to the end of the project. I think you can stop working if, if you have this attitude. And um, whenever I heard just the glimpse of this in anyone's like 
do you think we're targeting the right people? Mm-hmm. You know, like if I heard this question, I'm like, whoa, you know, <laughs> like we are not like we can, of course, find this very small pocket of ideal players that you want to see in our game and make our numbers pretty. But this is not the game that we're playing here. The game that we're playing here is mass market, open funnels. We want to attract as many players as possible. And either we can do that or not. And I think that that's for a casual game, right? And then yeah. I guess for you, <laughs> Mishka, it's a bit different. But um, if if you think that uh, the strategy is not the right one, work together. Like we did brainstormings. Um, I I asked my lead artists, um, can you help them? Like they don't have enough art resources to churn out enough um, ad creatives. Can you help them? And he was like, well, Anneli, then I'm behind in our content production mm-hmm. and uh, then I'm not delivering on my targets. I'm like, your targets don't matter if we fail the creative yeah, side. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, so he easily said, okay, I understand. I shift my priorities and I will yeah. put as many people on to supporting the marketing team as I can, as they need. Right. And I think that relationship was pretty clear in that moment. <laughs> Yeah, let's be honest. I'm a very marketing friendly game lead. <laughs> like, like, like I've, I invest early in marketing. So yeah, I've ads doing uh, our app, like even the uh, the Play Store images and so forth. So, it, but I've seen also this type of behavior that I described, and <laughs> it's it's not been fruitful. Where the PMs are basically fact checking uh, the UA managers, uh, and it's uh, it's a it becomes a very toxic relationship between the game teams. And the publishing team. So good to hear that that uh, that you stopped it right there. It's like we do our thing, they do their things, and we win together. Um, all right, Aaron. So how do you advise your studios to approach the soft launch phase from a media perspective? Um, excellent question. I'm sorry, just to you know uh, quickly respond to Anley. I like yeah. I've actually heard that, and your question from a second ago. Like I've actually heard this exact question from a number of different developers about how and where those sort of marketing teams should sit, whether they should sit on the game team or maybe maybe they sit independently. And in in every case, it's been a case of just how the company is structured and that if you have a strong publishing, it's called overarching team, and typically it sits there and they they parachute in and they try to provide support maybe across a couple different games. Um, but a couple of you know, top developers that I work with are experimenting with having those people actually on the team, but from very early on, because we know that, you know, you have to start testing creatives and assets really early now, um, because, you know, determining whether you're going to be able to acquire users is as much of a success, um, success metric or potential success metric as whether you can retain players. And so you've got to be thinking about both of those much earlier than used to be the case maybe five years ago. Um, um, yeah, well, I, I have to add then there. So in my experience, it doesn't really matter where they sit uh, mm-hmm. because what really matters is do they play your game? Are they invested in it? So that's more important than than where where the uh, where the campaign managers sit because that's that's how you truly check is like how how into it. If I have to explain what's coming in the next update and they're not really getting it, that means they're just wrong people for this project. You need to find people who are really interested in what you're doing and are very proactive through that and through that also understand the audience because they are part of the audience. So that's that's the uh, the key element, not really which floor they sit on. Sorry. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, um, but so to answer your question, um, I think 
It's a great question because testing creative is like such and like media is such a crucial part of soft launch, as we said. And you know, so many games succeed or fail based on the strength of user acquisition and marketing. Um, you know, even in soft launch, I know the developers are leveraging app campaigns to help build out sort of this core user base and generate let's call it, you know, tranches of installs when you're thinking about trying to scale your reach and optimize for either revenue goals or retention goals, whatever it is. And, you know, CPI and ROAS and, you know, all of these metrics are used by the developers to determine whether the game is going to scale within the first 30 days um, and then also beyond. Um, and my advice, if any, is, you know, to test creative in as many markets as you can before launch, because you never really know where your game is going to take off and established markets are going to be so competitive, especially for, you know, casual games or even, you know, actually, to be honest with you, any game at this point. And so if you can find traction elsewhere, it's going to be really um, potentially a lifeline for your, for your, for your game. Um, and similarly, we've seen some really sophisticated developers start to think about how they can tailor their store listing to particular markets. And you have this functionality uh, in the Play Console, even to the extent of, you know, as you're building out your screenshots or your description, you know, maybe it looks different in Japan. Maybe it looks totally different in India. And you've got sort of these very slight regional nuances where you're putting different characters first and foremost. Maybe you're trying different like color palettes. Um, you know, we know the, the aesthetic in some of these markets is very different. And if you're truly trying to optimize for those markets, like you can do a lot of really cool things. Um, but I also fully recognize that you're compounding the work so much by trying to get to that level of granularity. Um, and a lot of teams, you know, especially when they're a soft launch and they're trying to do it with, you know, the small team, um, are thinking globally. They're thinking about how, you know, how can I hit as broad an audience as possible with what I have access to? Um, and like, I think this is the last thing is that a strong pre-launch strategy is key to setting up a game for success and like driving installs in the first month. <clears throat> and one of the ways that you can think about that is about pre-registration and whether, and if it makes sense for your game, because first of all, pre-registration is a tool that you should leverage if you're willing to lean into it. It's not something that's magically going to get you a million installs on day one. You have to be, you know, topping that funnel up in the same way that you would a funnel after launch. You know, it's only going to be successful if the developer, if you're, if you're leaning in to support it. But if you can do that um, and, you know, you can leverage campaigns or you know, differentiated storefronts to sort of make the most of it and you can get people to pre-register it can be a huge boon on day one because you've got this golden cohort of players who've been waiting really patiently to play your game and they land in your game and they're going to hopefully give you fairly strong reviews because they've been waiting and they're excited and then you're off to the races and you see that trajectory um and as we as we look at games who launch like we are on our side, we can see a lot of different trajectories. Um, you know, we can see that some developers will you know, get a huge flood of installs on day one, it peters off, and then maybe stabilizes. And like, maybe it takes a little while for it to start picking up again. Um, other developers use that momentum and just start really pushing from day one, and they'll spend most of their budget probably in the first couple of months. And then once they hit that peak, then, you know, maybe they let it sustain for a bit, and then they think about what's next. There's no right or wrong strategy here. Um, it really just depends on your budgets and how you're thinking about uh, spending mm. those and whether you want to give it a bit of time to feel like your game is stable and you maybe work through some of the hiccups that you know everybody sees in launch. But 
I think that there's just so many different like tools and approaches to all this. It's, 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 it's a fun one to try to think about like how you can optimize it for your game based on the recommendations you're hearing. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's it's a hot topic. Every time you're talking to the heads of UA, like they they, I always hear the either they've overspent. They're like, well, it was a risk worth taking, or the most that they are, um, you know, talking about or reminiscing is like they didn't spend enough, and because they didn't spend enough, that's where where they are right now. They should have spent more earlier. Uh, but I wanted to ask Analia one question. Like you, you talked about console validation early on. Um, how did you measure the market opportunity? Because that was that was what Aaron was talking about—the golden cohorts and how you launch. And like, how did you know what the like what's the size of the market? Mm, we used several methods. So one was the validation release, where we really dive deep into the motivations that we can cover with this game concept. And um, I mean, Vuga is a story-driven uh, company, or like, at, mm -hmm. at, at, in our focus is making story-driven games. And um, we have really excelled the formula in Hidden Object. And we wanted to, like our key question was, is the Match 3 audience also interested in the narrative? And um, we also ran campaigns, for example, specifically targeting Match 3 players. In the big concept, like when you look at scalability, it doesn't make sense, but we wanted to know more about the match three audience. So in that sense, in that moment, it made sense to target them and see how do they respond to the ads? How much do they engage with the story? Um, and we, um, did surveys. So we used different, uh, kind of tools like, uh, Polefish and, uh, Playtest Cloud and, um, yeah, different, different kind of polling, uh, tools that are available. And we try to usually ask the very same questions, just with different, uh, cohorts of survey answers. And we often ask them what types of games you're playing. And we would only go deeper into the, um, the, the questions when they said, I'm playing match three. So we understood that a certain percent of the match three audience is really interested in exploring more narrative. And it's not like we could see that, oh, 90% like it. No, it's less. But what is less of this from such a huge market, right? It's still bigger than the hidden object genre that we usually target. Mm -hmm. And if we would only do hidden object games, then we are building the success of our already successful games all the time. And I think even King showed that this is maybe not the best strategy. <laughs> so... um seeing through the surveys that there is a big enough share of a huge market and seeing that the actual players that we could get with this interest to also read the story and enjoy the story and give us positive feedback on the story was in that sense enough evidence. And I also wanted to respond to one thing that resonated with me, what Aaron said, um, the um, having an appeal in different countries, right? So of course you can change your app store page, but our approach was a bit of a different one. So it's, it wasn't really on purpose that we said, okay, we want to make a game that appeals to a lot of people. It was more like we wanted to make a game that resonates with all of us. And we are very diverse as a team. And so uh, we really looked at our characters and our visuals and wanted to make sure that we are representing a really broad range of people 
And with this, if you show this in your app store, it's easier also to feel like to get the response from different markets like, oh, this is interesting for me because at least one of the character resonates with the player that's looking at this. And so it it was our approach, right? And uh, we actually get a lot of positive feedback for being so, so diverse in our cast. And a lot of players say like, why can't every game do it like this? Like finally something where I see myself or where I can tell my story or like uh, read content that resonates with me. That's that's a that's a really interesting point and and, and really good thing to uh, yeah to focus outside US. Like it's it's natural for maybe for people from outside US, but uh, having worked in US as well, uh, it's interesting how US focused people in the US are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I totally agree with you. Actually, I one thing I love about Switchcraft is just how diverse it is. Just how all the different yeah. characters all play off guns against each other. So, you know, having worked a little bit in narrative games before, it, like the narrative is one of the really strong parts of that game. And I truly, truly, full credit to Ali and team for making an awesome game. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about creative. So we this is the uh, the the second stage of the soft launch that Anneli had in their game. So basically, uh, creative optimization. And when we talk about creative optimization. We also have to talk about the store optimization or storefront optimization. Uh, so, Aaron um, or Anneli, let's start with you. Like, how early did you start with this? Like, did you do a lot of concept val- or creative validation in the concept validation phase, or was this something that you focused uh, in the so- in the uh, UA phase of the soft launch uh, and what are the kind of tools that you use? How much time did you invest into understanding the target audiences? Like how much work was done after the concept validation phase uh, to improve marketability and, and marketability meaning uh, the creative, the store and the uh, the size of the app? So truth is we never test these things early enough. Okay. <laughs> like whenever we like worked on the new concept whenever we launch a game we always reflect and say we should have started earlier (laughs) (laughs) and then when you work on the concept and you have like the bare bones of a team and you know like of course you don't start a project when you don't have an engineer you don't start a project that's narrative uh, um, driven when you don't have a writer but I think we often do the mistake and say, well, we'll figure it out on the marketing side. And um, sorry for being very honest here, but that's just the case. No, and it's, <laughs> it's your company. <laughs> and, but I've seen it in other companies as well. Yeah, that I know. They always say that we should focus on this earlier. We should, should focus on this more. And I was actually um, very glad that um, in the early tech launch phase, um, we were joined by a marketing manager who really, really rocked the audience analysis, the creative analysis. Um, She spent at least, I would say, 30% of her time only navigating the research and the creation of different types of creatives, working with different agencies that got like... In the beginning, a lot of people asked me, like, do you think this is on brand? Do you think we should actually try this? Isn't this like, this doesn't seem not Vuga. I'm like, when should we test it if not now? Right. I don't want to set in boundaries. Like I have, of course, an idea what the brand should be like. And uh, there are things at the global launch stage we might not want to do, but we should test everything, test everything that the competitors seem to have success with. And then try to switch craftify it. Like, what's our way <laughs> of doing this that we can live with? But first test what's actually working with the ads and be really 
broad, test everything. Don't set boundaries, even if it's ugly, if it's another art style. Like we we tested as much as we mm. could as early as possible. And um, yeah, from that, like try to refine the concepts. And I think we're still at a stage where we try wildly, uh, but we might not use the biggest network or the biggest, biggest spending campaign uh, because, um, yeah, there are certain areas also within our story, like you can craft love potions and some people take this as drugging somebody in the club, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> A pill <yes>. in Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> so this has uh, also resonates with the audience. They actually react very strongly on this ads. How do we turn it around to be mm-hmm. a bit more like, what's your choice here like can you can actually choose not to do the evil right and 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 this is something that we are heavily discussing um and um yeah in the end it's about creating emotions um with your creatives and so you have to go strong and then find your right path and in the constant validation phase did you test your like you chose your setting in the constant validation phase but was that chosen through audience research or early kind of like you know, marketing campaigns? Mm, that was um, like, we looked at the wider market of mm-hmm. entertainment. So we didn't look at games specifically. So, so you didn't run ads. That's what I'm basically asking. We ran ad, ads for the validation campaign, but I think not for the theme itself. So for the theme mm-hmm. itself, we just looked at um what is the audience we want to target? So there was already this wish to target a different audience than June Journey to not, again, get the same users in, but a broader audience. And then we looked at what is this audience consuming? What books are they reading? What uh, TV series are they watching? Got what, it, you got know? It. So more like a qualitative. So this okay. is the research that we took. Um, and when so we tested a- the campaigns for the validation release, they directly worked well. Right. Yeah. So. Well, that, that's good to hear. For, for like, I'm I'm somebody who has kind of shun on marketability tests early on, just to enter in soft launch after a year and a half and see your game burn <laughs> because because the CPIs are so high. So I've turned it around and I actually learned myself how to run the uh, the first campaigns. So so uh, I would I would recommend everybody and anybody to, as you said, only like it's never too early. And I think in concept validation phase already, even if you don't have an artist good enough, you can actually outsource your store assets as well as creatives by just looking at other creatives and using an outsource to say like, I want some of this and I want some of that. I want this in Vikings and I want this in, in Barbarians and I want this with Dragons and I want this with Knights. And and you can run the tests, and you can get your early validation to the uh, to the at least to the style that you're chosen. That the CPI, and also you can sound smart by saying sci-fi doesn't really work. The CPI is three times larger than in modern combat. You're like what? <laughs> so so it, it gives you. So anyways, just saying that for anybody running a small campaign is not that hard. Like I suggest that uh, that everybody. Uh, does it, and then of course having a great marketing manager is definitely helpful. But um, Aaron, uh, in what different ways does play help developers with creatives and store optimization? Yeah, and sorry to answer your, your 
questions yeah. like, and go, we actually did this in my previous life of like actually uh -huh. testing these creators really early. Like, you know, are yeah. we going yeah. to go dragons? Are we going to go sci-fi? And um, it was really helpful because you just, you, you make quick decisions, right? At this like really crucial stage in determining whether a game is going to be you know, full steam ahead or whether it needs yeah. a bit more work or. And the audience research is also very important that I only yes. mentioned because you do your targeting based on the audience research. So you're actually targeting with the, the creatives and you can use, you know, uh, fake landing pages like we used Geek Lab for this. There are other options as well, but that at least at least gives you uh, a perception of what the CPI could be because you already have the creative, then you already have your store asset, uh, and you can target certain devices. The only thing is you don't have is the uh, the actual game, so you don't know what the app size could be, and with Midcore that's big, and then again what the retention for the game is. But at least it's the first taste of information, and you don't need a marketing manager for it. Uh, you should be able to run your small campaign with a couple of Ks. Just my personal you know, opinion on that. Absolutely. As far as you're able to, that's the nice thing about some of the tools that exist now is you can, you know, again, I'm not necessarily speaking from experience for all of this, yeah. but like, you know, as far as you're able to, as you say, just just give it a go, try it out early. Like, yeah. Hurt, um, especially if you can do it in a couple of hours or maybe even a day. Um, yeah, and and at companies that have a publishing department, I noticed that the uh, the UA managers love to teach you the basics of it, and it's really nice to see their job and kind of like you know run even a smallest campaign. Like, hey, let me let me walk a um, a stair in your shoes, <laughs> not a lot, just a little bit. Just show me the buttons in in whatever campaign manager you're using. Uh, and run kind of through it, and um, it's. I think it's helpful to also understand what they are doing, even at the uh, at the smallest element. <laughs> but anyways, I I, I might want to insert here a really yeah. good thing that I try to do with several people in my company because I did it. Uh, it's a UA internship. So when there was mm. uh, like uh, in my previous game in Perth Sparrow, we did a technical migration where product managers were not as needed. And I had like two time, two months time frame where I was like just low on tasks. Mm -hmm. I actually went to the UA team and asked like, how can I support you? <laughs> what can I do? Right. And they showed me, they had me manage campaigns. Um, I did this also with one of my employees and he was very good in analytics. So he helped them uh, like prep up their dashboards and they were yeah. really happy to get his yeah. help as well and his view. And so I think this is a really important lesson for product manager or for anyone who's really interested in this part of the business case equation. De definitely better use of time than what I did in those situations. I would blog or do a podcast. So that's a, that's a, that's a better investment. <laughs> but, uh, but at least I have a blog and a podcast now <laughs> during the lull moments of, of product management time. <laughs> Everybody fills um, the time with whatever they want to do. It's, yeah, uh, it's, whatever makes you productive. Like, like I was just deconstructing games when, when I had free time. Uh, but yeah, Aaron, so uh, plays help with creatives and store optimization. Uh, what are the sort of a concrete helps that 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 uh, publishers can expect? Yeah, no, and so uh, I'll go through a couple here because, you know, to be honest with you, there's a lot and there's a lot of mm -hmm. stuff that, um, you know, you can do, not just with Play, but also with all the other tools that exist out there. But, you know, I'll focus on those those that Play offer and Google offer for, for, for now. Um, and I think the first one, like, that, that really jumps to mind is, you know, custom store listings and allowing you to A-B test, you know, your store listings um, in the Play console. And, you know, we're talking about soft launch now. It's obviously continues to be important after you launch and like throughout the life cycle of your game. But, you know, as we're trying to think about, you know, whether this game is going to make it a launch and whether we have a game that 
is going to be sustainable. Um, it's really important to know and feel confident in your creatives. Um, and so I think that, you know, the recommendation would be to try to tailor your app store listing to appeal to the user segment um, that that you've decided to focus on, um, and certainly in the countries that you choose and try to tailor it for each of um, for each maybe of those different uh, target groups. And so, you know, my old colleagues at Pocket Gems would actually use this functionality all the time to get fairly fairly healthy empirical data on what combination of assets was most effective in driving conversion rates on the Play Store. Um, and this obviously feeds back into your ad campaigns and, you know, even as so far as you're able to align your ad campaigns with store creative, like we've seen a few folks drive incremental uplift from being able to align those two things. And, you know, it's worth experimenting with all of this during soft launch when you have that flexibility. The other one that it's worth checking as you're thinking about your, uh, selling your store listing and I guess you're getting ready for launch. It's just taking a quick look at the policies across not just the Play platform, but also other platforms. For example, you know, we advise that developers include at least three landscape screenshots to take advantage of how the store looks. And, you know, if you haven't launched a game in a little while, you might find that the store has changed since you, you know, you last really looked at optimizing a game um, for, the, you know, the refresh storefront. And as such, it's worth just making sure that you're following or rather, you know, taking a look at the best practices and like, you know, implementing those. The other one that is is somewhat new, but definitely worth thinking about is, you know, maybe limiting the amount of text overlay in some of your screenshots and focusing on gameplay in the videos and stuff. Because what we've discovered in, you know, some of the tests on our side um, is that consumers as a whole really want to know what the game is that they're going to be playing. They they love the 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 you know, the big flashy, um, you know, animated assets and things that, you know, people are building to advertise the games. But when they get to the store page, they actually want to know what the gameplay is going to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as far as you can show that as early as possible, like, I think that that's really healthy and important. Um, and the best way to figure out, you know, how to do that if you're a smaller team is to look at what the top games are doing. Um, and, you know, I'm sometimes surprised when, you know, I'll say, you know, what was the last game that you looked at on the Play Store? And be like, ah, uh, you know, and they'll, they'll pause because, like, you know, maybe it's been a little while since they've looked at, you know, some of the newer launches. And there's some people who are doing some really cool, sophisticated things. Um, and it's worth just taking a look and seeing it, what they're doing, and you know, where, you know, what you can borrow, what you can take, what you can impl- improve on, and stuff. Yeah, that's that's definitely a must, especially doing. Uh copying not copying getting inspired by the games in your own genre or the audience that you're targeting is super important that like that i actually used that already when the concept validation phase you just grab from the play store and set it to the outsources like i want these but with these settings and the mood boards next to it or you have an artist that they can do it so that's that's the fastest way to even even do your validation and it starts your process of constantly benchmarking against uh rival titles in the market so uh, you know don't wait for play to give you this information. You should do it yourself as well. Yeah. Um, the only other one I put a plug in for is um, uh, analytics and um, for the Firebase SDK. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's a really good tool to help optimize ad campaign performance and, um, you know, reduce any ramp up time for your campaigns because, you know, with the SDK, you, you get all the first party data that you need to understand and segment your, mm-hmm. your player base and you can actually just determine you know who sees what and try different things out really flexibly um so if you haven't already thought about implementing that and you're in soft launch it's worth thinking about doing it now it becomes obviously more complex complex the longer you wait 
uh, actually, question to Annalie, like how, how, what was the phase when you brought in a, a campaign manager? Was that in the soft launch phase of UA or was it beforehand? So when so the validation release was of course a one off and there we just mm-hmm. had one UA manager helping us. Oh okay. Um but for the um before the TechSoft launch, we have had already a dedicated um UA manager who was helping us set up all the SDKs, all the tech setup that links are working. Uh, have a budget plan, which countries will we choose. So we also use the data from existing titles to determine which are the best markets to take soft launch and soft launch in. What would be the budgets based on how many inserts we need to generate at which time. So the strategy and so on was worked on well before tech soft launch. And this person was almost full time already at that time working on Got the it. game. And currently we have. Uh, two managers that are really focused just on um, Switchcraft with others supporting them. So the strategy is also discussed with a bigger team. Mm. And by the way, with the UI managers, are they divided based on um, channel or like how do they separate their work, if you know? We used to have a channel-based separation, but now we are um, game-based. Um, because thereby also the UA managers have a bigger variety of challenges, so more learning opportunities, and then they can exchange um, the best practices between networks because both like different managers are trying the same networks and then they can exchange more knowledge, have broader ideas of what could be optimized. So um, I think that now the, the game team-based uh, model works quite well because you really have an expert and if something is working on one network they can also sometimes transfer it to the other network got it um all right let's talk about product management and prioritization of the roadmap so this is usually the the the, the well this is very typical question from from studios uh entering soft launch so what are the, some of the features that require significant investment but don't actually matter that much in the soft launch like my personal uh, take is always the Fatui, which actually doesn't apply at all, apparently, to casual games. But but normally mid crime, like ah, we'll do it when we do it. It's fine. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, uh, but um, but and I know because the Fatui just takes enormous amount of time, just enormous. Like you even had a full milestone just based on Fatui that you didn't even pass, and you had to go back and had to do redo it again. So it's a it's a nightmare. So I've I've been just like you know what, forget about it. <laughs> Let's just move on. Uh, but but Natalie, like like what were the sort of a sort of a like in your uh, in your experience best bang for the buck uh, when it comes to uh, feature prioritization in soft launch like events, social features, yeah. fertility, so forth. So I think that um, it's hard to really start with knowing these are the things that really matter directly. So when I joined the project, we already had a long, long list of must-haves defined on other games before their global launch. And like it was such a long feature list. And I was like, it's too much. It's really hard to even grasp the scope of all the like legal formalities, technical things, settings. Like it's so many things. And I really believe in focus and tearing it down to what really matters. 
And the first exercise that I did is I, I took every item of this very long backlog. I went to the leads in my team, like the representatives of every discipline and said, does this spark joy? So I really did the Marie Kondo of our backlog <laughs> and really asked them, like, how important is this item to you? And will this determine whether we can be successful or not? And there were some items in this list that um, created a huge uproar in the company. Like one of the items that I killed uh, was, for example, the offline mode. Like a lot of match three games, especially Candy Crush, they support off offline gameplay. So you can play the levels in the um, airplane or train or whatever. And um, yeah, it's just so expensive. Like for every feature that you develop, every event, every, I don't know, uh, content pipeline, you need to have the case covered that there is no internet connection. And let's be honest, how often do we not have internet connections these days? Like <laughs> maybe yeah, especially with the especially with the type of audience you're going after. Uh you have to also balance it in terms of you know monetization of the audience. How how often the audience that you're really targeting, the uh the, the retaining monetizing audience doesn't have internet connection. I think that's even you know more important. Yes. And so like for us, it was like it, it it was a part of the must-haves for global launch, right? Somebody told me you need to support this because all the successful match three games have it. And I said, Well, all of the new successful match three games don't have it. So let's let's say that this is not a deciding factor for whether we are successful or not, and uh, remove just I think 30% of our work or even more. Um, right. So I think the offline mode was the first big thing that I killed. And um, also other things like, are we a social game? No, I think that the experience we provide is more a single player experience. There's always like this oh, sending lives, whatever the, the basic, but does it really add the value? Does it really do something to the success of your game? No, so rip it off. And for us, the FT FTUE was actually counter to your example. It's very important because we're delivering a game that nobody ever played. Like this concept doesn't exist. Nobody else, when we worked on it, had a game that combined match three and story in the extent that we tried to achieve it. So we had to actually tell the player and we had to balance out these two very important parts. And we had to make sure they understand very early that we take the story very serious. And um, we actually had to measure through Playtest Cloud a lot of the emotional reactions to the early seconds of our gameplay to understand what's happening with the player. And all these emotions we actually mapped out on a chart and said on this second, this person said, ah, and this person said a joke and this person uh, was scared and this person hated it and this person, you know, like we, we mapped out second by second the user's reactions to every point in the game to understand what are the emotions that we are creating. And this was actually what took us so long in revamping the F2E. And we did it um, during soft launch three times. And um, I think that after we had to do a redo it the first time, we realized we need to build a modular system. So instead of adding fancy sales and events and whatever, we really had a modular FTUE that we could change based on configs um, where we could... Uh, add different kind of paths where we could change everything over the air, uh, where the content delivery was almost seamless, where we could prototype different story beginnings and test them. So that that was the investment that we took. 
And um, I think it really paid out well because the uplift in the um, first session length that we achieved resulted in an uplift in the day one retention, in the day seven retention, in the day 30 retention. So this was really a cascading investment. And this is something that I have not seen in other games, right? I mm. try to do the same with Pearl's Peril, for example, a hidden object game. And there you could just not get past the point that people would churn when they see the hidden object gameplay because many people don't understand that this is a game, <laughs> what they have yeah. to do, right? So all the final improvements were meaningless, whereas match three, which is very casual and the emotions that the story create, it had a huge impact. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I started uh, smiling. Uh, I, I've also made some casual games and yes, the modular for two-way system just came to me as a, as a PTSD uh, of of the same type of an experience of trying to build too many times and then like we need a modular system and that's another couple of milestones on on that one. <laughs> um, Aaron, what's your what's your take from your experience kind of going through the uh, the bang for the buck uh, features? Are these typical for for mainly casual games? Can they be cascaded for other type of games? Naturally, the uh, the Fatui seems to be like Anneli said, it doesn't even like it doesn't even cross to hidden object. Like it's a, a it's a very genre specific. Yeah, you're right. It, 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 that's exactly it. It's so genre specific around like which features are important. Um, you know, some games these days, you know, refuse to launch without a battle pass or something in place to have like that additional step of progression built in. Um, and, you know, as a result, I, I think you really just have to look at like what's core to your game. And typically I imagine when you're, when you're thinking about like, you know, which additional features need to be built in uh, on top of what is, so let's call it your core gameplay you're at a point where you have something and so you know the only recommendation that you know that i've heard from a few different developers who've gone through this a couple of times is like you know i think to Anneli's point you don't need to have everything like having a feature set of things that you know you and your company believe to be important because you've done it for other games doesn't necessarily isn't a strong indicator that they're going to work in your game too i think social is a really strong and important um, point from Anneli in that you know, as far as social improves some sort of metric in your game or like, you know, solves a problem that you're seeing, then sure, you should do it. But it is incredibly burdensome, becoming even more burdensome because you think about PII and like managing those conversations between players. Um, certainly if you have a chat system, like, you know, you're adding these huge burdens on top of what's already going to be a complex game. Um, and you're going to have to have people to maintain those going forward and optimize them. If you work with a larger larger publisher or a larger studio, maybe they have some way of helping you do that. Um, but some of these things, some of these things are difficult to implement quickly and therefore test quickly. And so, you know, implementing a, let's call it like a basic social system, in my mind, doesn't necessarily exist, right? You can maybe go halfway, but that's still many hours of engineering work that you're going to have to invest just to get a sense of whether it's going to make a meaningful difference to to KPIs at a really critical time, you know, is it worth waiting till after launch to implement that? Um, and, you know, you've got something, you've got something you believe in and like, you know, if it's good enough for now, then I probably wouldn't like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't overload your, yeah. your, 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 your teams too early on is what I'm trying to say, I think. Yeah, especially with uh, with the more mature publishers, the laundry lists are vast because they're taking from so many games and naturally the laundry list is longer because the market does evolve but it's still um it's still interesting like 
to know when to launch, which is actually <laughs> actually how we're going to take this this podcast episode home. So we've talked about concept validation, closed beta, open beta, tech launch, Fatui's, UA, how to build a business case for it. But but uh, but when do you know it's time to launch? Like when when is the game ready? Is it when the executive says enough is enough? We've invested too much into this. <laughs> Let's hail mary this out. Or, or like Anneli, like when did you know that that we're ready to go? Was it the business case was the final thing, and and you were you were ready to push the button? And uh, can you can you walk us through that? I think it's several factors. So um, just um, we are iterating on the scope. I think it's not the scope that's defining when you're ready, because the core, like you need to have a foundation. And this foundation, especially in free-to-play, means that you have a trajectory how you can operate and grow the game for years to come, for up to 10 years. And if you have a lot of features in your mind, like social events, all these cool things, uh, uh, battle passes that you mentioned, if you have these ideas and you believe they can make a difference to your game, that's great. Like you need to have an idealist, how you can push it further, but the basic, the foundation needs to work. The the raw core loop needs to work, needs to be engaging, and you need to get good enough KPIs. If those good enough KPIs with a believable plan of improving them further gives you a good equation for a business case, that's that's one part of the equation. Um, and I call this a bit of the like do, do you know you have a raw diamond? And this is something that I love to test with making one important addition to the game. And this could be just one event, like pick one event where you would expect that this has a significant uh, impact on the KPIs and you implement it. And if you see this uplift, I think you can have also the trust that it might be a raw diamond. You never know. You never know for sure. If you have just a kind of some kind of mediocre product you add a meaningful feature and it has no impact you don't see it even in the kpis like you can fix you can change the fte you can add several events you don't see an increase in the baseline then you don't have a raw diamond and so like adding this one meaningful feature that the team believes in and then see how it performs um, this is when you know okay i have a product to work with i have a lot of ideas i have a team that can execute these ideas. I have uh, like a leadership team that can really drive the people because globally launched often does not just mean that it's going to be everything more stressful, <laughs> more more pressure. It also often means that certain people, certain team members have reached an important milestone in their career. They have launched a product and you need to be ready that it's not just the market that is demanding that you need to hit your targets after global launch. You will also probably have to change some people because they want to work on the next project. So it's 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 a lot of pressure. So you need to trust that the company can support it, that there's the budget. And um, in the end, I think some of the managers might not be even able to take this decision because they're not part of this team, they don't have all the information. So they can only judge from the outside what they see. But I think it's like a big part is the feeling of the team. Do we feel like we have this raw diamond? Do we trust in ourselves? Do we believe that the uh, a big chunk of our team will stay and push this through because global launch is actually the beginning, right? 
it's the beginning of a very long phase. Just reiterating just how long it is. <laughs> you know, decades now is where we're up to of, of working on these games. And of course, people change and you're going to get more people coming in and you've got to do that to have fresh ideas. But I, I totally agree with Anne-Lee that like you're committing a global launch to to something. And so, you know, if you and your company and your team are ready to commit to it, then it's the right time. Um, you know, if you've got thoughts and ideas for two years ahead, three years ahead, then then there's probably something there. Yeah. So basically three things. Have a deep roadmap of, of those ideas, of, of all the elements that you wanted to do but didn't have time to do and all those great ideas. Um, have a team set up. Uh, that's an, actually a super important point because when the game goes live, it's a totally different ball game. Um, you know, like in, in your case, uh, I think the game lead or the game director changed. Um, am I correct? Or is that, that's my assumption? Yes. So our game director was the, the VP of new games. So he's yeah. like, he helps us out of the early stages. And I was, of course, driving already a lot of the things as lead product manager. But as we were not a new game anymore, we matured to get yeah. our own dedicated game director, which was me in that case. Yeah. And it's also a different job. So it's smart from, from the person who was running the team before to understand that now all my expertise are like not valid. Not all, but most of them are just not the core competences that are needed in the grind of a live game. It's just a, it's just a different ball game. So it's a, it's a really smart uh, approach to, to kind of change the, uh, change the new lineup in. I don't know what what terms to use. Uh, there's the hockey terms. There's the uh, the football terms of defensive offensive teams, but uh, but not in in the uh, European football. There's there's only a couple of substitutes, so you're ready to go. But uh, but in this case, yeah, and it's actually something that the Supercell CEO wrote in his uh, latest blog post, just talking about um, the importance of the live team and how different it is, and how even culturally they're different. And the final part is the budget. That's a that's a really important topic. Not only that the team has a budget, but the company has committed to the game because for a long time uh, the only beneficiaries are the Googles and <laughs> the other platforms of the world <laughs> that are benefiting from the uh, from the marketing spend and you are basically investing for the future growth because the paybacks are long and the more uh, the more mainstream your game is the longer the payback is you're, you're competing against the, against big titles so um, yeah. So that's uh, that's uh, this hour and a half of talking about soft launch. I think we could talk for many, many more hours. Um, any final words? Oh. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I think every soft launch is just so different, and you really have to always check in with yourself. Where where are we? What are my opportunities? Yeah. And you have to. Keep the confidence. If you ever lose the confidence in yourself and the team and the product, check in. Take it seriously. Yeah. Take a step back. Take a pause. Think about and uh, don't just rush through it. I think uh, it's an important learning phase for the future of the game. I think I've failed four soft launches in a row now. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... So, but yeah, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, no, that it, to to your your last point, like moving fast and making decisions is like the hardest part of soft launch, right? And 
you know, maybe the decision is to kill a game. And like, that's that's fine. Like, you, as long as you feel like you have concrete data to support any decision, then, you know, you should feel free to, you should make that decision with confidence and, you know, move on to the next thing if, if that's right. Or, you know, hold it, stick it out. Like, you know, we know, we can all think of some games that, you know, may be delayed making a decision for an additional six months because they saw that there was something and that six months was instrumental in taking the game to the next level. And that led to a global launch or vice versa, where, you know, maybe teams under NAR for a little bit too long. And as a result, like actually like team burnout was something that maybe was an incremental factor in determining whether a game was was it was time to sort of kill a game and let the team move on to something else. So, you know, my only, you know, just take a look at the data that's available out there, not just obviously it, on the play side or the platform side, but also, you know, other services that have loads of data and just try to continue to gut check and get a sense from, you know, from yourself and your team and, you know, any other developers or publishers that you work with. Like, are we heading in the right direction here? And if yes, then like, Stick it out. You might be on something. All right. Enough information on how to ace your soft launch, and, and we'll have a lot of information from, from Google, and everything will be written down, and probably this is a part of the blog post that you're reading. Um, soft launch, as I like to say it, either you win or you learn, and <laughs> either of the two things are important. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and most importantly, thank you, Anneli, and thank you, Aaron, for sharing so much valuable information. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember... We love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.